With week one of the college football season just days away, Monday began the first round of head coach press conferences, which means we found out who's hurt, who's suspended, and who won a whole bunch of different quarterback battles. Here to help me break it all down in a special in or out edition of the Morning Blitz is 24-7 Sports National College football writer Chris Hummer. Chris, we just wrapped up week zero, so technically the season has already started. We had four games on Saturday, uh, mostly inconsequential FBS games. Uh, Are you in or out on the concept of week zero in general, and what about this particular iteration of week zero that we got this year? Uh, I'm very out on uh, week zero games. I just don't understand the concept of having games start before the games actually start. College football fans weren't paying attention. Um, the games for the overall picture of the college football season are rather inconsequential, as you said. The biggest storylines of the weekend involved off-the-field things, the hurricane heading towards Hawaii, for instance, and Mike Bobo's health. It was great to see Mike Bobo back on the sideline. But when, you're, when that is the overriding conversation of week zero, it means that yeah, football there isn't really that appealing did you get a chance to watch any of the week zero matchups i caught i caught a little bit of wyoming just sitting on new mexico state for 60 minutes uh and it was it, it i while i it, i definitely wasn't in for the full 60 minutes i was i was it was nice to see football on the screen and i i kind of i feel like more and more with the sport uh and some of the issues plaguing it we spend a decent portion of the off season like kind of questioning my ongoing love for the sport and how strong that still is and so while i was not super into the games i think i did notice the spark rekindling and i'm kind of uh i'm kind of enjoying enjoyed uh, a little uh, appetizer to get to get me started for um for for the main course on week one, I did not have many of the appetizers. I I actually probably mostly watched uh, high school football earlier on Saturday. I forget uh, what high school. I forget the name of the high school, but it's where Bryson Allen Williams went, uh, and they were playing some team from Alabama. But um, it, it was it was nice to have college football back on my TV, though I did not care for the particular matchups and. Uh, I, 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 I maybe like it if you've got one big game to build it around. Uh, and I feel like in the past, the matchups have been a little bit more interesting, but there was just no, no headliner. It was all undercard, 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 and, and nothing, no no big tentpole game for, to draw people in. And then maybe on the back end, you know, you're staying up late to watch Wyoming, uh, New Mexico State. But if that's a, the main event, or I guess it was probably uh, Colorado State, Hawaii was the main event, which seems like it was a good game. But I, I feel like you're in trouble if that's if that's if that's your uh, if that's your heavyweight bout. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I I live in Texas. I was very excited to see Rice's new coaching staff kind of in action and kind of bringing that Stanford South system over Rice, like as a fan of the sport. It's interesting to see a transition like that happening. It's just the Rice versus Perry view is just not an appealing game. And uh, when you have four of those as your kind of uh, appetizer for the college football season, it's tough to get excited. Like you, I watched plenty of high school football over the weekend, and I probably had a bit more of that on than I did college. I think the most interesting aspect of the Rice Prairie View game was: Did you see the camera angle on the on the game winning field goal? For some reason, it was just a very bizarre choice. They changed camera angles in the middle of the in the middle of the play, and then super zoomed out 
in the middle of it. And it was just very bizarre and disorienting. And I understand being a camera person is probably a very difficult job, but uh, messing up in the decisive moment of the game, that's a, that's a tough look, tough look. But Well, I mean, it's the preseason for the camera guys, too. Technically, we zero just a trial run, so maybe they're trying to get that out of the way. Keeping it moving, uh, interim Ohio State head coach Ryan Day said that Dwayne Haskins is indeed still the starter. There was never any doubt around that. But he did say that Tate Martell will play against Oregon State on Saturday, presumably in a special package to take advantage of Martell's mobility and some different things he can do. Chris, are you in or out on the idea of this being a good idea for the Buckeyes in the long view of this season? Uh, I'm in for the long view of Ohio State football. Uh, I spent, I actually spent a lot of time around Tate in high school. I went on a trip with him at one point to write a story. And playing time is critically important to Tate Martell. And Tate Martell is not the type of guy you want to lose. And if you want to keep Tate Martell engaged, you need to play Tate Martell. I think there's a pretty good chance Dwayne Haskins has an excellent year and is able to jump to the NFL right away. And keeping Tate involved in the field is a great thing for your program if you're hoping to have him stick around. Plus, Tate kind of brings an element to the offense that Dwayne doesn't. Dwayne uh, is mobile, but he's not Tate Martell mobile, if that makes sense. Uh, And short yardage packages where you can throw Tate in there, kind of stretch the field horizontally uh, with Tate rolling out and potentially taking off and running does nothing to hurt Ohio State in the long run. As long as uh, Ryan Day isn't getting too crazy and putting Tate Martell in critical situations like that, I think it's just fine for Ohio State. You know, I guess guess Oregon State, it's a low-stakes situation, you would think. Um, But maybe if this is still part of the offense, do you you think this will still be part of the offense, you know, last week of the season against Michigan? Uh, I think it's just depending on how successful it is. Uh, Ohio State's offensive linemen are pretty athletic and they can pull out kind of in the way you need to, to kind of get Tate Martell out there and get him on the move. And Tate, if he shows any sort of accuracy, I think it could still be in the mix. It's a nice change of pace. In college football, we see a lot of those packages have a lot of success. It's not that similar, but I remember Oklahoma back in the day, the belldozer package. I've never seen a more successful kind of uh, gadget package where a quarterback goes in there for a certain number of snaps and plays. There's room for that in college football even with a successful quarterback. But uh, the early season is going to be a good trial run for Ohio State, I think. Yeah, Tebow and Leak would be another example of that really working. But I, I, it, it seems like recently, I don't know, it seems like it doesn't come off more often than it does. But we'll see. Um, Penn State today announced that linebacker Manny Bowen is no longer part of the program. Bowen is not a star-level player, but he did make 21 starts in each of the past two seasons for the Nittany Lions. Tough news for a defense that was already dealing with some depth issues up the middle. Chris, are you in or out on Penn State's 2018 defense being good enough to win the Big Ten East? I'm in on Penn State's 2018 offense scoring enough points to make the defense probably not matter very often in 2018. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. uh, But that defense is not necessarily something I'd trust. Uh, in a huge game, uh, I think Penn State's going to be able to score with anybody, but in a lot of cases, I think Penn State's uh, offense is going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. That's not to say Penn State can't get better as the season goes on. Um, they've got a great defensive coordinator there that quite a few uh, FBS programs were talking to as a head coach earlier this uh, off season, and they've got some really young, talented players like Micah Parsons who are only going to get better as the season goes along. 
Uh, it's just a matter of the offense carrying them early. Uh, how do you look at Penn State this year? Yeah, I mean, I think if if your theory of Penn State being a a you know inexperienced team that gets better as the year goes along, like, I, I think that's I think that's the theory you've got to lay out in order for Penn State to be a, a Big Ten title winning team. And I do think that the schedule shapes up reasonably well for them to do that. Uh, Appalachian State at Pitt, Kent State at Illinois, not until September 29th do things really pick up, and boy, do they, against Ohio State. Um, and then you got Michigan State right after that. So if there are some fundamental problems with this Penn State team, we might get halfway through the season before you even notice them, or they might be fixed by then. Uh, college football teams can grow and change a lot over the course of uh, three months. So, you know, maybe maybe by the time Ohio State comes around, some of the, some of the depth issues that we're seeing out now in the in the secondary and in the linebacking core aren't really issues by that point in time so um if if they are going to be that kind of team the schedule certainly shapes up for them to do it but i could very much see this uh uh getting to november december and we look back and penn state has nine is nine and three eight and four which you know by a lot of program standards that's pretty good but for penn state i think at this point with the expectation level there that would have to be considered a disappointment but i I think you know even if that does come to pass things are still on a good upward trajectory sometimes these step backs just happen uh one thing one thing that I have noticed through my years of watching college football is that having a really good, experienced quarterback can kind of wipe out a lot of issues with your team. And uh, Penn State has one of those. So um, we'll see. Uh, the Big Ten East is just going to be so much fun and so tough. And it's starting to feel like, the, I mean, it probably has already been feeling like the SEC West for a while. Um uh, t- uh, this might take us down another road, but uh, what do you what do you think is like the long term end game for the Big Ten East? We've kind of seen the SEC West like cannibalize itself a little bit. Uh, where do you think we're headed? Obviously, there's some turmoil still unresolved at Maryland, but it was kind of looking like maybe they would join some of these other programs at, at 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 the top of the food chain here, or at least close to it in like a strong second tier. Yeah, I. I don't see the Big Ten East, at least at the top, getting any worse until one of those four coaches either retires or takes another job. Urban Meyer is a titan in the sport. Uh, I think he's 73 and 8 at Ohio State. His Ohio State teams are going to continue to be good, and he recruits at a level that's kind of different than everybody in the country outside of maybe Alabama and Georgia right now. James Franklin's kind of proven he can shape a program, even programs that are mired in sanctions and programs like Vanderbilt that don't traditionally win. He's also reeling in top five classes. That program's not going anywhere under his direction. Jim Harbaugh, no matter what you want to say about him, is one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, You don't turn Stanford around the way he did without being able to coach, and you certainly don't go to the NFL and reach a Super Bowl without being an excellent coach. And the Wolverines also have the brand, uh, historically, and with the Jordan brand that kids love to recruit well. And Michigan State, Mark Antonio, no matter what's happening with that program or anything else outside of it, He's one of the steadiest coaches in the country. He does more with less than almost anybody outside of Gary Patterson. Uh, that program is going to be strong. Uh, and those four aren't going anywhere for the foreseeable future. So it's going to be a slugfest there annually to see who kind of comes out of the conference. In terms of the bottom tier, like you said, I thought Maryland was heading in the right direction. But who knows what's happening there. 
in terms of the other two programs in that division, uh, Indiana and Rutgers, you can take it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> I think Indiana is actually, uh, I think Indiana is slowly getting better. Uh, but, and they've shown progress for the last few years. Rutgers, uh, that's just a tough place to win right now. Yeah. But uh, what what do you kind of see the future of the East being? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe if one program kind of separates itself the way Alabama has, then I, I wonder if maybe you start to see some of that thing where the other teams in their rush to keep up just kind of make, I don't know, necessarily rash decisions, but the trigger just gets so quick on getting rid of people when things aren't going uh, as well as you'd like them to go. Um, and in the long term, that kind of instability, I would argue, has not been super helpful for the SEC. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I, I the, the SEC West, I feel like, over the past little bit, has been a unique case and something I've not really seen before in my, in my time watching college football, where a conference gets so good or division gets so good that it kind of becomes a problem for it at a certain point and then it ends up weakening it. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see if that's what happens with the big 10 East. I really don't feel like I know. Um, so I'm, that's where I'm at with it. I just think it's important to remember on that point that a couple of those contracts from the East, namely Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer, pending anything crazy off the field as we've kind of seen over the last couple of weeks are pretty bulletproof and turned into guaranteed dollars and the length of them. I know money isn't an option or isn't a problem in college football in a lot of cases, but those contracts are untouchable. Penn State's not going to a better coach than James Franklin and say the same thing at Mark D'Antonio. I think that's actually a little more unique than what you saw in the West. Auburn never really found its uh, steady head coach, even after reaching a ti- winning a title and then going to another title game. Uh, Les Miles, <laughs> no matter what you want to say about him, was always embattled. I'm not you don't really have four tent poles in the West like you do in kind of the Big Ten East right now, or at least you didn't have four tent poles. Nick Saban kind of owned the division, and then everybody else followed. I'm not sure if it's quite that way in the East right now. Sure. Um, well, since we're kind of on that topic already, let's. Uh, we've got some Vegas odds on the first college football coach to be fired in 2018. Uh, David Beatty is the favorite at Kansas. Lovey Smith at Illinois, also there. Ed Orgeron at LSU. Brian Kelly, Notre Dame. Chris Ash, Rutgers. Cliff King- Kingsbury, Texas Tech. Uh, Mike McIntyre at Colorado. And of the people listed here, the least likely, uh, Barry Odom at Mizzou. Uh, Chris, you in or out on David Beatty being the first coach to get the axe in 2018? Uh, unfortunately for David Beatty, I'm in. Uh, Kansas season's probably going to end earlier than everybody else's. They're not making a bowl. They have a new athletic director in Jeff Long who's going to want to bring in his own uh, kind of coach there. I think it's pretty telling that I think a month onto the job, David Beatty hadn't actually sat down in person with Jeff Long yet. Uh, Big 12 media days. Uh, whether that's fair or not to David Beatty, I can't really judge. He inherited a roster that was very broken. I think they had somewhere in the range of 35 scholarship players when he arrived, and they're still in the 60s, I think even four years into the process. But that's just that's kind of a situation you see ending soon. You don't go winless in the Big 12 two out of three seasons and expect to keep your job. Uh, you know, I, I think the odds on David Beatty being fired, like I would put them at 99.9% at some point this season. But I do think there is a case to be made that he is not the first 
coach to get fired simply because uh, the schedule starts with Nichols State, Central Michigan, and Rutgers. And it's things don't have to get too crazy for that to be a three and O situation. I'm not, I'm not saying it's likely, but I think two and one even would buy him some rope uh, for a little bit. And then, so maybe if you're three and O two and one, it's probably not until, uh, you know, the first couple weeks of October that the record could even get bad looking enough for, an immediate change to be absolutely necessary. Um, and at that point, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Is there an advantage to getting it done sooner or maybe just keeping him there and then working behind the scenes to shore up the next move? I, I don't know what, uh, like what scenario might be best there. Uh, but I, I think there is a chance that he survives a little bit now at the same time, if you lose to central Michigan, uh, then, Boy, yeah, <laughs> if you squander that opportunity to get what should or not should be a win, but could be a win, then, yeah, you're in trouble and it's probably happening quick. I'm just saying as a purveyor of uh, many Kansas football games over the years, uh, there's no guarantee when it comes to a non-conference opponent. For instance, Kansas opened with Central Michigan last year at home and lost 45-27. to 27. So I would not say a uh, 3 to start by any means as a guarantee for David Beatty. Uh, I was a little bit to see Ed Orgeron uh, given third, most likely. I mean, LSU didn't have a bad season last year. I guess this is maybe maybe the way to read this as a, is as a bet that 2018 is not going to go very well for LSU. Yeah, I think ESPN's FBI for at some, one point projected LSU win between 5.5 and 6.6 games. And if you take the temperature out there in Baton Rouge, there were a lot of people not happy with Coach Orgeron early last year. I think uh, at one point in his call-in show early in the season, a fan called in us at Orgeron like if he was ashamed of being the head coach at LSU after losing to Troy. Uh, that wasn't a popular hire in the first place. That's a, that's a job you watch out for. I don't think LSU is going to be as bad as everybody thinks they're going to be this year. I think that defense has just as much talent as anybody in the country, and I think Joe Burrow is really going to transform the way that offense functions. But uh, that's an interesting job to watch just because of how difficult that schedule is and how, I don't, I don't want to say not supportive LSU fans have been of Ed Orgeron, but how much pressure is kind of placed on him early on as a guy who's already viewed as a third choice before that job behind Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher. Speaking of Joe Burrow, it was not really a surprise to anyone, but Ed Orgeron did name him LSU's starter for Game 1. Several other quarterbacks officially won their quarterback competition in the past week or so. Blake Barnett uh, won the job at USF after stints at Alabama and was at Arizona State. And then uh, Adrian Martinez became Nebraska's first ever true freshman to, if he does end up starting, um, be begin the season uh, for the Huskers at quarterback. Um, JT Daniels won the job at USC. Felipe Franks at Florida. Not, not a whole lot super surprising here. If there's one maybe interesting nugget to mine out of all this, it is just the sheer volume of true freshmen uh, getting a look at uh, opening the season for their teams at quarterback, which is 
it's a pretty significant shift and college coaches have tended to be very conservative with handing over the reins to true freshmen. And I don't know, are you in or out on uh, true freshman quarterbacks uh, being a good thing for college football? I mean, I'm in simply because that's the way the game's moving. Uh, we've kind of seen recruiting ramp up at an earlier and earlier age and kind of training's gone with it. Most of these quarterbacks that are arriving on campus have had private quarterback coaches for a number of years. They play all off-season and seven-on-seven. Spread influence is kind of – spread influences dominate the high school game. So a lot of these kids, instead of what might have been in the past where they have a huge adjustment period when they get to college, adjusting to a pro-style system, now they're jumping into offenses and concepts they've been seeing for years now. Like I live in Texas, and for instance, the air raid tree is so prevalent here that you have kids running it in sixth grade, and they step on campus at Texas Tech, like Baker Mayfield did in twenty, I believe it was twenty thirteen at this point, and he's ready to play right away because he's been running that system all his life. And I think as a product of that, we're seeing more mature quarterbacks, and then they're more ready to play once they arrive. And there's no more important position than quarterback. So if you have a guy that you think is going to help you right away in a position that's struggled, you might as well throw him on the field. Yeah, I'm quite done with coaches like continuing to run out the boring veteran who's you know not going to throw too many interceptions, but is just clearly not as talented as the guy behind him. I'm I'm really excited that this is a direction that the sport seems to be going in, especially considering that we ultimately only get to see these guys for such a limited amount of time uh, in, in the context of their broader football careers with being constrained to you know four or five years uh, being with the program. So getting to see these super talented guys as many snaps as possible i think is awesome for the sport and i'm 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 thrilled that this is what's going on well chris any other any other things we need to hit today i think uh we got all of the big details out of uh, the monday press conferences we'll see what tuesday's press conferences hold but for now that's it for today's edition of the morning blitz for more find us on twitter at morning blitz 247 chris is at chris underscore hummer i'm at connor tap 247 We'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning with all the college football news you need to know in a tidy 10 to 15 minute package. To subscribe, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.